Hey, good morning. Hey, we have more than two in second service. This is impressive. Way to go, guys. Yes. So kind of first service became second and second became first today. Really interesting flip-flop. But uh, no spoiler alerts, all right? Some of us got things going during the day and we won't get to know. So if you know, don't go, or, oh, you don't, I don't want none of that. All right? Keep it to yourself. Keep your pain or joy to yourself at this point. All right. Hey, uh, a couple of things. You could pray for the staff. Uh, we've had quite a week. Shannon and Brooks went down with the flu, and uh, they're still not feeling really good. And if you look at Shannon, he kind of looks like warmed over death this morning. And uh, Zach's got sores on his throat, so we're going to see if he can get through third service uh, singing because he's starting to lose his voice. And, uh, and then uh, Rob had uh, hernia surgery, and he said, oh, yeah, I'll be at church on Sunday. And we said, you're an idiot, you know. And he said, no, no, I can do it. So he came up to me after first. He said, okay, I'm going home. I said, see ya, you know. So he's hurting. And then Diana broke her foot, all right? So we've been a hospital ward more than anything. So, yeah, the only two doing well are Margaret and I, so we're kind of like, duck, you know. Um, but uh, if you pray for them, that would be really great because we are kind of a mess. And uh, tonight we, uh, we kick off Alpha. And I just want to say that we're going to, plan to run Alpha again after Easter, and our goal is that all of you would attend at some time uh, to see what it looks like, to get the feel of it, uh, probably learn some things yourself, which is really a lot of fun, but to know what you're praying for and what to bring people to, so uh, we just want to salt it that way for you and, and give you the heads up. So here's uh, where we're going uh, till Easter. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, David and, and Katka were here, right, and uh, and so they did a great job. And then after, Pam and I uh, had the privilege just to go out for lunch with them. And they said something that was very interesting and caught my attention and was tied to something I've been thinking about since probably about last June and, and just wrestling with. And one of the things they said is, they said, you know, coming back this time has been really different. They t- have a tendency to come back in a three-year period, right? Every three years they come back. And they said, uh, I said, well, what's different? They said, We've noticed that it, 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 the, the tone of the country has changed. She said, uh, Katka in particular said, you know, it, it kind of feels like somebody threw a wet blanket over it, or it's kind of like a fog. And David said, yeah, normally I come back and people are optimistic. Or, he says, but the, the general feeling as we're talking to everybody is kind of the country's going downhill, and it's, it's just going in the tank, and people are kind of in this malaise that they it's not bad yet, but they don't know what to do, and they don't know how it's going to get bad, but they just feel like it is, so they're wrestling with that. And we, we spent uh, about an hour just talking together on that. And that um, kind of spurred my thinking, and I want to use it as a launch pad for us this morning by asking the question, so how does a Christian respond when things are not going to get better? Pause that for a second. Think about it in this context. So it, we're into the first year. Any of the rest of you having weirdness writing 2016, right? Uh, just kind of deal. And I don't know about you, but for me, years seem to be clipping by now. And uh, I'm already halfway through summer in planning. So it's like like this year's over and hadn't started yet. So I don't know if you have that. But um, what will 2016 bring? Have you... Have you yeah, I'm sure you've thought about that in terms of maybe vacations already or 
or those kind of things. But the truth is, as we stand on the cusp of a year and as we, we step into it, we really don't know. Right? We don't know what kind of world events are going to happen. There's more saber rattling um, with Iraq firing missiles close to our um, aircraft carriers, which to me is the stupidest thing in the world. Those aircraft carriers have more power than most countries, so I'm like, like, like shooting off a whistling peat at them. Like, really? But, you know, that, there's that kind of thing that creates apprehension. The political environment certainly isn't one um, that creates a great deal of hope. You know, it's like, wow, okay, those are our candidates. All right, here we go. Um, right? So as you look at the year, as you, as you wrestle, from your perspective, uh, and I'm thinking of this as a we, not uh, you, what, what does it look like? And I, and I want to use that um, to get us uh, thinking along the line. How does one keep their hope in the midst of adverse or trying circumstances? Some of you had very difficult years, right? And that's not a, a false question. For some of us, we're worried about what would I do if things did get really tough? And um, as you think about that, as you, as you wrestle with that, I've been pondering a similar train of thought. Uh, most of it came out of when we did the series uh, When the Blank Hits the Fan in Fall. That stirred up a whole bunch of issues and conversations with people that I haven't even gotten to all of them yet. Right? Uh, some people are still wanting to talk with me. And, um, and uh, I was thinking about it as we came through summer and I was wrestling with the idea. And when I got to about October, the word fortitude came to me. And I went, huh. Fortitude. And so I started looking that up and started wrestling with that and, and started uh, throwing that a little bit around. Now, fortitude is, uh, it's not a common word. We don't, it's kind of like for us an old English word, like the king shall fortify the palace, right? We kind of think of it in that context. But, but we do know of it, like you get it off of any cereal box, right? You read such and such a cereal is fortified with vitamin B12 and niacin and iron and, and all that kind of stuff. And the idea there is that uh, it means that fortitude strengthens or toughens or it makes it more resilient or makes it better, stronger, right? And so it carries with it that idea. When you look at the actual definition of fortitude, it means courage in facing pain, uh, danger, or trouble, firmness of spirit, resolve, or resiliency. I looked up some synonyms with it um, that uh, often are helpful. If you look at these, you recognize a lot of these. But the ones that stood out to me were metal, moral fiber, grit, steadfastness, guts. Uh, an, another old one that isn't up there, intestinal fortitude, right? You hear that. And uh, what, what that means is it's the capacity to fight through tough things and to face it well. Um, and the great generation, the World War II generation, had a ton of that. They were steeled for World War II by the Great Depression. And so they had something that had set them up to be able to go through tough times and to know how to fight through it. And a lot of uh, our generation doesn't know how to fight through it anymore. right? One of the great concerns of parents with children is, can they fight through things when things get difficult for them? We know how it goes when it's easy, but what's going to look like when it gets tough? Well, we don't know... We don't just ask that of our kids. Um, we ask that of ourselves, right? If things were to get really tough, how would we handle it? 
And so the book that's been on my mind and heart that uh, came to me was First Peter. I have a long-running history with First Peter. I memorized the book of First Peter back in 1986 on a two-month mission tour called Summer Servants down in uh, California and Mexico. And, uh, and, and I didn't want to do it because of that, but God kept bringing me back to it. So it's to First Peter we go, all right? So take your Bibles, open them up, or open your iPhone, or however you do that these days, and uh, get to First Peter, and let's pray. Fathers, we come into the study, and we ask these questions. We recognize uh, there's a need to understand and know you, uh, especially when times get tough, to know our anchor, to know where our, our bearings are, to know what our foundation is. And Lord, as we're going to walk through this, uh, I seek you for... Uh, your spirit to be among us and to highlight and illustrate the points that you want to be able to make. Father, when it comes to fortitude, you're the only one who can make us that way. You're the one who fortifies us. And you prepare a people for the times that you've called them to go into. And the thing is, we don't know what we're going into. And so we seek you this morning by faith that you will prepare us and get us ready for whatever we may face. And we ask this in faith in your name. Amen. All right. So let's start. We're going to start with uh, the opening of the book and talk a little bit about the author and the audience because there's some, some cool things in here. It starts like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I always like that line, right? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So starting off with the author here, it uh, is Peter. Uh, Simon uh, is his real name, but he was renamed Cephas or Peter. Peter or Cephas means the rock. He was renamed by Jesus. And uh, so that's his uh, Jesus-given name or his Christian name, as we would say it. And he is one of the original uh, disciples and uh, one of the 12 apostles. And he was actually the leader of the 12. So when we think of this era that it's being written, one of the things to lock in is that usually when we think about the church and the governance and the theology church, we usually think of Paul. Paul was the planter, the propagator, the theologian of the early church. But it was Peter who was the leader. Right? Peter was the leader of the early church, and he was a very significant leadership, a very significant leader. His authorship of these two books, First and Second Peter, has never been seriously questioned. Um, and so as we look at it, what's the timing of it? Uh, the writing of the book is somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 64 A.D. Right? Peter is in Rome at this point. He's actually in Rome with Paul. Um, and so they uh, end up winding up together. Uh, both Peter and Paul will die at the hands of Nero uh, in the persecution that broke out in Rome after the great Roman fire. So it's that period of history right in there. Legend has it that Peter, uh, deeming himself unworthy to die the way his Lord did, requested that uh, he himself was going to be crucified. And so he requested that he be crucified upside down, which is kind of a horrific way to die because your guts spill into your throat and do all that kind of wonderful stuff. And so that's the, the legend and the history of that. There's some other uh, added factors. So here's the problem with Peter. 
One of the reasons we jump to Paul quickly and kind of dismiss Peter at large is simply because we know younger Peter, right? And, and most of his story is recorded. And so we know him younger. Might we add his more impetuous years, right? We kind of know Peter as a guy who was quick to the trigger, kind of shot his mouth off sometimes, sometimes said inappropriate things, buckled right when he shouldn't have. Um, we, we know that kind of guy. And so as a result, we kind of go, you know, he was more a goofball than a leader. And why did Jesus really make him the leader anyways? Was that team that dysfunctional? The truth was Peter was an exceptional leader. Jesus knew it right out of the chute. Okay? Andrew brought him to, brought his brother to, to Jesus and, and Jesus renamed him right on the spot. And he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he said, this is the guy who's going to lead that first wave out. It's Peter. And so he was a very significant leader. And the way you have to look at it is this. Um, If all of your sins were recorded exactly like Peter's were recorded, how well would you come out looking? Right? And just think if your kids could read your sins recorded the way Peter's were recorded. Would they think you're a very significant leader? No, that's why we hide them, right? How was your past? Oh, not so good, right? But the point is there is that God grows people. He takes them on to, and that's what I want you to see about Peter. He became one of the most significant leaders in the history of the church. And much of what we know uh, came from his leadership. So I want us to uh, think that way because... Uh, Peter didn't match Paul's literary output. He only wrote First and Second Peter, but from a leadership perspective, he he was the key leader in this new organism and organization called the church. Right. So he was the the foundation piece there that started. So he's an older man now. He's probably at this point in his fifties, which by our standards isn't an old person, right? Um, but in that day and age, fifty was. Uh, you were an elderly man. And so Peter's now seen as this this older guy, the apostle, the guy who had walked with Jesus, and uh, he's dispensing wisdom uh, to groups of people, and he's hoping to help them gain perspective. And in this letter to First Peter, he's coaching a certain group of people who have gone through um, some really tough circumstances that they wouldn't have picked. You know, when you're younger and you look at older people, and uh, particularly uh, if you have older parents, you go, why do they do that? Why don't they just change the way they do that? And th- you just don't have any idea what it's like to be in that spot, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to some of these situations is, why, <coughs> why didn't these people just get out of their situation? Well, there's some situations in life you pick, and then there's other ones that pick you. And uh, there's no such thing as getting out of them. And if you're over 40, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, And so as we're looking, we're looking at a group of people that got caught. So uh, what are we looking at? Who are we looking at? This is a picture of Turkey, what we would know modern-day Turkey. This was uh, an area that that Peter addressed here in these uh, different areas, Bithynia and all that kind of stuff. It was known as Asia in that day. But he addresses the letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now it's not known whether these people were dispersed from Rome, which there was 
there were several edicts of that nature during this time period in history, or whether they were dispersed from some of these key cities that you see on here. You recognize the name of some of these, Ephesus, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira, Pergamum. Uh, you know the names of those cities. Uh, they're in different books of the Bible and that kind of stuff. So whichever it was, these were key Roman cities and they got evicted. They find themselves caught in um, what we call the dispersion. And um, not everybody had the same battle. It wasn't always the similar circumstances. But um, as we look, there's clues in the letter that indicate that most of them were Gentile Christians. Uh, there were some Jewish Christians among them, but most of them come from Gentile nature. So we're talking about people who had never heard about Jesus before, have heard about Jesus now, have embraced him, and now suddenly run into really difficult circumstances. Right? Their world has been upended. And, and they're uh, trying to cope with the circumstances that they find them in. And the tone of the letter is they've faced some persecution and the whole flavor of the letter, there's probably more coming. So the, the goal of the letter is to brace them, to hold them up, to uh, encourage them. Peter's main goal was to comfort them and let them know that somebody cared. And that's why he was writing the letter. Uh, there's four themes you'll find. We're going to look at the first four verses. Uh, we're going to cover this first theme this morning, then the other three next week. But... Uh, this morning we're going to look at the sovereignty of Christ, or that it is in Christ, and then the salvation that comes from Christ. Peter writes about that. Then the identity and inheritance that are ours in Christ, and then the anchor of faith. So we'll get to the first one this morning, and then we'll do, as I said, the other three next week. So let's grab this to topic of sovereignty that is in Christ and relook at the first three verses. There's some things in here that don't normally catch your eye at first, but once you see them, you go, oh. I hadn't noticed that. Uh, so Peter starts out and he says this, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Notice in there on the list as you look at it that dispersion is capitalized. All right? It's not used as a verb. It's used as a noun. It's called the dispersion. And it's capitalized to uh, identify an event that's happened that everybody would recognize that Peter's writing about. So uh, though it's not that known to us, it was very known to them. Um, we do the exact uh, same thing today. So, for example, if I said the Civil War, if I said the Great Depression, if I said 9-11, interesting, their numbers are a noun, right? It's an identification. 9-11 has come to stand for something that when you say it, it instantly galvanizes and people can say, I know where I was. I can tell you what was happening that morning, Right? So it's in that same sense that Peter is using this when he talks about the dispersion. Everybody he's writing to knows exactly what he's talking about. And in this dispersion, they're talking about being upended. In other words, they didn't have a chance probably to prepare a lot of things. They didn't have a chance to get ready for a lot of things. They probably got an edict and it came down in those days from Rome and they had so many days, you have 10 days to get out of the city. We really don't care where you go. Just go. All right? If you had that edict given to you, how would you handle it? We're talking about they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have email. 
they didn't have the modern communication devices. So if one of the family took off and went that way and the other took off and went this way, they really had no idea how they were doing or what happened to them. And so their entire world was upended. All right? And people, Peter's talking to uh, this type of group of people. Now, um, Peter uses this event to highlight in the midst of this God's sovereign control over the situation. And here's the interesting point. Most of the time, when sovereignty is used in the New Testament, if you read in the places, uh, it's used in places where it looks like God's not in charge of anything. It seems like everything's upside down and absolute chaos is breaking out. And the writers of the New Testament, that's where they bring in sovereignty to assure people that God is not surprised by this. This has not caught him unawares. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. He says, to those who are the elect exiles... Right, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now there's two ways you can take that. One is, what? You mean that idiot knew about this and then he didn't do anything to stop it? What kind of God is that? That's reaction number one. Reaction number two is, oh, this hasn't caught him by surprise? All right then he'll take care of me. I don't know how, but he'll take care of me. And you find people fall into those two basic categories of response when events like this hit. Notice the interesting conjunction there of elect exiles. If you were an exile, would you feel very elect? When you watch today, and many of you have watched the videos of the Syrian refugees trying to, and there's, there's columns miles long, and they're just walking. They don't even know where they're walking to. They have no homes anymore. They, they, most of them have lost all their possessions because they started out carrying them. And like in the American West, the farther they went, the more they dropped stuff. And at this point in the journey, many of them don't have shoes. Many of them don't have coats. Many of them barely have clothes. They have no food to eat. Um, I read one report where they're eating grass and cats. That was the only food they had. And they ran out of grass because it snowed. So we're talking about crisis on a proportional level. They're, they're, you watch the line. They don't know where they're going. They're just following everyone, hoping they get somewhere. Right? So that's our picture of exile. That's what we you know, think of. We don't normally think of elect. That you were chosen for something like this. That's sobering, isn't it? That's what I was thinking about this week. The pain of the scenario. Think of, think of the fear of the scenario. Uh, in those kind of scenarios, people die. Those kind of people, if someone's on the trail and they get sick, you just lay them on the side of the trail and you keep going because there's nothing else you can do. Because if you stay with them, to die with them, the, thing, the trail moves on and there's nothing to catch up to. And then you yourself will die. And so you're talking about desperate, desperate um, fear. And you're talking about terrible cost, right? And yet Peter tells them, tells this group of the dispersion, which captures that same picture, that they are elect and that none of this has happened by accident. He actually says it's happened according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, when that, those terms are used, 
as I said in uh, the New Testament, look through, read it, what you'll find is nine times out of ten, it is written to comfort people, to let them know they are not alone, to let them know God is not forgotten, to let them know God is not surprised, that yes, these things have happened, but God is still with you. They're used to comfort people who are in the midst of suffering. Um, We came across this idea often when we did the series When the Blank Hits the Fan. When we talked about catastrophe and we talked about loss, we talked about betrayal, when we talked about um, pain and disappointment and silence, um, they kicked up all kinds of conversation among us in terms of, wow, how do I handle that when those kind of things hit? And what Peter's trying to do in this letter is he's trying to encourage them and fortify them that even in the midst of their awful circumstances, God has not left them. He's still there. So hang on is the idea. Let God strengthen you. He will get you through. And what this lets us in on as you're looking at it is three things. Notice it is according to the foreknowledge of God. There's three things Peter points out that persecution, uh, God uses persecution for in the body. Number one is our sanctification. You know, a lot of things can float in us, both good and bad, till pressure and persecution hit. And then a lot of stuff goes out the window that isn't real. Right? You start getting really, real, really quick. Experience the death of a close one. Experience financial bankruptcy. Experience getting ejected out of a job you thought you were doing good at. Experience getting ejected out of a marriage that you gave your life to. Experience that kind of thing. And it just sort of crystallizes everything as to what's really important, what really matters here. The second thing that it crystallizes or clarifies is our obedience. What has God asked me to do becomes very clear, right? It becomes very important. It becomes the signature question of what do I do now, right? A lot of times when we're terrified, we go to God and it's not in that tone. It's, God, what do I do, right? And we seek counsel from people because we're trying to ask, what do I do in the midst of this trial? And then the third thing it says there is uh, sprinkled by his blood. This has two connotations. One is, of course, we're washed, we're cleansed from our sins because of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? And therefore I'm made clean. But the other one that it refers to is a baptism that we have to go through. Do you remember Jesus said, I ha- there's a baptism I must go through, and he talked about it would be his death that he had to go through. He called it his baptism. And the New Testament is not shy about saying there's baptisms that we have to be sprinkled with, that we have to go through. And it's talking about, in this context, the suffering and those kind of things um, that people that people have to face. Now, if I've sobered you, that was the goal so far. So if I've done that, I'm doing good. All right? So the question then comes in for me as I was thinking about this and wrestling it, where does fortitude come in? Where does the ability to be strengthened to face these kind of things? Because we are called to be resilient when the pressures of life or warfare or persecution come our way. Now we know that, right? That's a head knowledge thing, but it has to become a life knowledge thing. It can't just be in our heads. It's got to be 
in our motives and our actions. And Peter is deeply concerned about how this group of people will do in the midst of the pressure because he recognizes the pressure is severe. And I think that's important because here's the truth. All right? Even though we don't know what 2016 will bring or the, the years ahead or that kind of stuff, the truth is bad things do happen to good people. Right? Just because we're believers in Jesus Christ does not mean bad things won't happen to us. It does not mean people will not sin against us. It does not mean that we will always be on the right side of the cultural shift. And so things can mount up and change quickly. As we say in Seattle, wait five minutes. If you don't like the weather you got, it'll change. Right? And the same thing can be true of adversity. Now, some adversity is irritating. Right? It's on the level of I locked my keys in the car. I had such persecution today. Well, who persecuted me? I locked myself out. Right? I mean, it's on that level. And we talk about that type of irritating. Some of it will be exasperating. And exasperating is when someone else is sinning against me or doing something that's really irritating me, right? And, and I'm like, boy, this is frustrating is the word we'd use. People are really ticking me off, right? And if I could just get them out of my life, my life would be good. Well, I can't kill them. Lord, do you want to kill them? No? Can I move? All right, right? How am I going to do this kind of thing? It's exasperating that. Uh, kind of thing. But some of it's going to be heartbreaking. There's some stuff that picks us that's heartbreaking. Some of us have uh, experienced the death of loved ones recently. Some are facing the death of loved ones right now. And some of what we're picked and what we have to go through is heartbreaking. If you watch the Syrian refugees, it's heartbreaking. Okay? That is the kind of thing I'm talking about that we will need fortitude for to handle to handle right. And we need to know that we're not exempt from history. We're not exempt from the history of the world and we're not exempt from the history of the Bible. Okay? A lot of us read through the Bible this year. Remember that last book, Revelation? A lot of bad things happened there and not good stuff. All right? We may be the generation that has to face that kind of stuff. And if I read the epistles, we're talking about matters of fact here, if I read the epistles right, persecution and adversity actually come our way because we're believers in Christ. Anybody else read that same thing with me? So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be, how could this happen? We should know it comes with the turf. And that's what Peter's trying to do. There's a verse in Colossians uh, that parallels this uh, type of thought. It says this. It says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's an interesting coupling of words there. With endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There's another translation of it that I have hanging on my wall in the office and it reads like this. May he strengthen you in his glorious might with ample power to meet whatever comes 
with fortitude, patience, and joy. In other words, may you be the real deal when the pressure hits. May you actually look, smell, and sound like a Christian when things go wrong. And you say, oh, but I could do that if things didn't go wrong. Often it's when things go wrong that the real power and light in us comes out because that's when Jesus can really reveal himself. Fortitude is the idea, not that we're going to face pressure, but rather how we handle the pressure when the heat turns up. It's not the idea that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps higher, but rather that as the circumstances change, God will extend a greater grace for those circumstances. And that's what we must cooperate with. Because the old stuff was a conversation we were having to get us ready for this stuff. And you have to make the step from A to B to stay in step with it. That's what Scripture is trying to tell us. We are to be fortified by the Holy Spirit. So just like vitamins fortify our body when we eat other foods, so the Holy Spirit fortifies our soul. And why that's important? Because what's on the inside always comes out. You know, that's why a lot of us fear being put in a nursing home. Because we've watched other people in a nursing home, and we know that the older you get, our faculties get stripped, our defenses get stripped, our coping mechanisms get stripped. And so if you go to a nursing home, you hear and see really surprising things coming out of people that you thought, oh, they were Christians. But there's this stuff flying out. You're like, whoa, that didn't sound too Christian. right? Well, it had been there. It had been there for 40, 60 years. It just was always covered up. But the pressure reveals it. And so the question is, how will we respond under the pressure? Because there's great warnings in Scripture about don't forfeit your faith. Don't abandon your faith under pressure. Don't betray your faith. Stay faithful. Hang with it no matter how tough it gets. And that's what Peter's talking to is, uh, to this group of people. Stay with it no matter how tough it gets. And so what that means is that we believe God will give us a grace sufficient for what he's called us into or we're called to do. So it's a different kind of prayer. It's a different kind of prayer. The prayer is not, Dear God, may all my circumstances be good and take away anything that would be difficult for me. That's often not how we pray, but that's what the spirit behind our prayer, right? Why do I have to go through this? Why, why, why? It's so hard. Right? The prayer is actually quite different. Dear God, give me the grace, the patience, and the fortitude to lean into whatever circumstances come my way in this year of 2016. Strengthen my character by your glorious might that I might not disappoint you or fail you, but rather reflect you and the resurrection of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit. Let me use this illustration to kind of give you a, a picture. So, so I'm on Facebook now. Many of you are my friends. Hi. Most miserable thing I've ever seen created. All right. Um, but I have to be on because the Pentangills are on in a secret group and I can't follow them in Equatorial Guinea unless 
I'm on, and then the North Sound Network's on one, so I, so I have to. Be, so I'm now on Facebook. It's such a joy. But there was one good thing I found this week. All that stuff aside, there was a story that paralleled what I was trying to talk about really well. And the story was some of you probably read it as well that there was a a, a young lady who was absolutely destroyed because her husband cheated on her. Okay, that's crisis, right? And uh, he had an affair on her and just blew her world up. And she went and. She was crying to her grandmother. Her grandmother was a godly grandmother, and her grandmother didn't say anything. She just got up and went into the kitchen and uh, put some pots on the stove, dumped some water. She had three pots, put water in each of the pots, turned the burners on, and started boiling water. And, of course, the granddaughter's thinking grandma's lost her marbles, but she's watching, and then grandma goes to the fridge and takes out carrots, eggs, and coffee. And so once the water gets boiling... She takes, throws the carrots in one pot, throws the eggs in another pot, and throws the coffee in the third pot. Let's it boil. When it's done boiling, she shuts them all down and uh, pulls them out. And she pulls the carrots out. They're all, you know, cooked and soggy. And you know how cooked carrots, mm, right? And then, um, sorry if you love cooked carrots. Uh, and then the eggs, of course, were hard-boiled eggs now. And then the coffee was coffee. So she poured some of the coffee in a cup and gave the coffee. And the aroma filled the whole room. And the grandmother says, do you get what I just did? And she goes, no, what are you doing? She says, you're facing some difficult circumstances. And when people face difficult circumstances, when the heat's turned up, they react in one of three ways. Said, you can react like these carrots. They were hard and firm and and crisp when they went in, but when they hit the heat, they just wilted and became soggy. He said, other people are like these eggs that you know you can use but you throw them in the water they become hard inside and so when people hit ad- adversity and they hit difficult things they become bitter and hard of heart and they they just lock up it says but you can also be like the third pot said so notice that when the coffee was put in the water the coffee changed the water the coffee aroma came out and it became something very delicious to drink She said, just like that, so when we hit pressures in life and the pressures hit, what comes out of us should be the aroma of Christ. And it says God is with us in that, not because he wants to abandon us or he wants us to go through hard things, but he wants the fame of his son, the aroma of his son to come out. And the question is, when the pressure hits, will we be carrots or eggs or coffee? And I think it's a, it's a vital question for us because the question is, where is history going to go in the next five years? Well, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I don't have any insight into that. But I'll bet you there's going to be some really great things in the next five years. And I'll bet you there's going to be some really tough things in the next five years. And how will we face that adversity? And my answer to us is we need to face it with fortitude. This biblical quality that uh, we're talking about. So we'll end here. Um, Next week we'll go through the salvation that's in Christ, our identity inheritance that is ours in Christ, and the anchor of faith. But let me ask this question this morning for your thought, and we'll have a great worship song that will tie it to us. But what comes out of you when you're squeezed? When the pressure hits, when things get tough, what comes out of you? Is it the aroma of Christ? Or do you go soggy and buckle and fold 
and nobody would even barely believe you're a Christian? Or do you get bitter and hard and you lock up? Say, that's God's idea of a good time? Fine. Fine. He can shut it. Now, we never say that, but we say that all the time. I'll say it for you so you don't have to sin, right? So if lightning hits me, we're good. I'm in heaven. You're not awesome, right? But we say that, right? Or are we like so many of the believers we hear about that when they were put to the flames, they were singing the name of Jesus and people went, what is that? The aroma of Christ was there. And I'm suggesting that no matter what comes, I think as a group, as an, a, a church in America, but especially uh, as I'm thinking about it, we're going to need fortitude. We're going to need guts. We're going to need metal. We're going to need backbone. We're going to need stick to in spite of how hard it gets. And I think we're going to have a great time walking through Peter together. Join me in prayer, would you? Fathers, we're talking about, we're not talking about something that we naturally have. We're talking about something you give us. And we look at Peter, we look at Paul, we look at those guys and, and we think, wow, they accomplished great things. But you gave them the fortitude and the metal to face the things that they had to walk through. And Lord, if you could strengthen and sustain the early church and then you could take that next generation of church that went through all the persecutions and the Roman Colosseums and that, and you could take the church through history and give it metal and fortitude so that your son's name becomes famous, you can do it for this generation too. The trick is you're going to need a group of people who want to cooperate with you on that. May we be that group of people. May we have your fortitude that only can come from your spirit, that under no circumstances will we deny you. May we stand in the pressure and may the aroma of your son come out. And we ask for that great privilege in your name.